So when I thought about the topic of discipleship, and I know in, in evangelical circles it brings varying opinions on who's supposed to be doing it, what it's supposed to look like on both ends. You know, um, I know there's varying opinions all over the place on that, but I was introduced, allow me to share just my story on discipleship. I was introduced to it about 25 years ago, um, shortly after I'd become a believer. Uh, Pastor Dave Van Wingerden, as many of you know, was here for five or six years. I can't remember exactly, but he took a group of us aside for a couple of years and met with us one night a week. And we had to make a covenant for that. We had to determine that that night was set aside strictly for that. In that time, we looked at books like The Disciple-Making Pastor. It was about pastors and leaders and how we are to make disciples. The author of that book, Bill Hull, and I'm sure some of you here probably read it, believed that there was a crisis at the heart of the Christian church, that too many leaders and believers alike were not taking the Great Commission seriously. And as a result, church members and leaders were not living, serving, and discipling as God had intended. That was 25 years ago. Where are we now as a church? We'll come back to that later and look at that. So the text I've been led to speak on today, I feel in it we have a great model for what a discipleship mentor role should look like. And it's on both ends when we look at Elijah and Elisha. And as we read the text that I'm going to today, about 12, cha- 12, 12 chapters, no, sorry, I won't read that one. 12 verses. Um, in no way are you going to have a good idea of all that Elijah was. I would just encourage you to read the last part of 1 Kings and the beginning of 2 Kings if you really want to have an overview, a good overview of who Elijah was and all that he did. Let's, uh, let's read the text. Chapter 2 of 2 Kings starting with verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elijah, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elijah and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elijah and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. 
So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elijah, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah saw this, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. Allow me to just give you a quick overview of what was going on in Israel at the time of Elijah. King Ahab was the ruler. 1 Kings 16.33 says that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. He, along with his wife Jezebel, I say along with because King Ahab allowed her to be the authority over his household because of his own spiritual compromises. It was during the time when the principal god of the land was Baal, the god of fertility and the god of sex, whose followers practiced public fornication. King Ahab also allowed Jezebel, his wife, who epitomized the lust of the flesh and eyes, to seduce and control a woman used by Satan to seduce God's people into sin, sexual sin. John writes of her punishment and destruction in Revelation 2. Put that on your list for reading too. When you think about this, does it sound familiar what's going on in our world today? Some things haven't really changed, have they? Elijah the Tishbite, whose name means my God saves. If you notice in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, he just appears, comes on the scene. We're not told anything about his family history or his background. He didn't have any credentials. And I think first off we need to take note of that here. You don't need any credentials to be a follower of the Lord's and to be used by the Lord. Elijah is a chosen prophet, one who receives special instruction from the Lord and is called upon to communicate this to his people. From Scripture, what truths can we read about Elijah that are evident? And again, I'm not going to go back and read them all. I would encourage you to, to read that this week as you study in, in First and Second Kings. What can we find? First off, he was a man of obedience to the Lord. In First Kings 17, you'll read three to four times, so he did what the Lord had told him. These, are, these verses also, sh also show his patience, his ability to trust in the Lord, as you'll read too, and how he waited for food 
for the ravens, for the ravens to deliver the food. Birds. He was confident that the Lord was going to do this in the way that he said. Does that seem, doesn't that seem bizarre to you? Second, he was a man of persistent prayer. 1 Kings 18, 36. Numerous verses in those, those texts. Seven times he prays for rain. Such evidence of great faith and confidence that God will answer. He was, he was convinced. He knew God was going to answer. Leonard Ravenhill, in the book, The Elijah Generation, one that I would encourage all of you, especially men, to read. Women, um, there's a lot in there for you too. But men especially. Ravenhill defines Elijah like this. Elijah was a man skilled in the art of prayer who altered the course of nature, strangled the economy of a nation, prayed and the fire fell, prayed and the rain fell. He goes on to say how we need rain, rain, rain in our churches today. The churches are so parched that seed cannot germinate. Our altars are dry with no hot tears of penitence. Oh, for an Elijah. James 5.17 sums him up well. He prayed. He was also a man who first faced persecution and depression. When Jezebel reveals it to him that he's going to die, he runs for his life and because of that falls into great depression. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is, is, it is not enough, Lord? Take my life, for I am no better than my father. Elijah, like all of us, faced fear, depression, times of defeat. Fourthly, and the one I'm going to be on for a bit, he was a man who mentored And I believe strongly this was the direct result from him exercising the qualities that we addressed earlier. Persistence, prayer, obedience. He wasn't perfect. He had a testimony of life experiences and miracles God performed through him. But yet he was confident in his calling and he was very dependent on God to do the work through him. You'll see it time and time again as you read through Kings. He was one who wanted to expand God's kingdom. He wanted to purge the sin from God's people. He wanted to reproduce, see people come to a mature relationship in the Lord, equipping them to pass on to the next generation of people God's truths. In choosing to be obedient, he would leave a legacy. In the 19th chapter of 1 Kings, we read how he was told to anoint Elisha to be prophet in his place. And after spending the time with Elijah, and we don't know exactly how much time he was able to spend with Elijah, Elijah then wants a double portion of his spirit. Wow. That's a beautiful statement on an end result of a discipling-mentoring relationship. 
I think about the double portion of his spirit, one thing I want to do before we go on is to just clear up any doctrinal misunderstandings or questions that we might have or wrong thinking from that statement. When Elisha asked for this double portion of his spirit, we need to remember where he's coming from in saying that. He's not asking for twice the spirit that Elijah had, not the Holy Spirit. The only th- we want to look at the wrong thinking. The Holy Spirit, we know, cannot be divided as such. Or does he exist in larger amounts in some more than others? And if we think that way, it forces us all to, also to assume then that Elijah is the one who dispenses the spirit, which he's not. God is the only one that dispenses the spirit. And that's who we would ask for the Spirit to come into our lives. No, Elijah's request from Elijah is normal inheritance language that's found in the Old Testament. It's very common. According to the Old Testament, the eldest son, the firstborn, received twice inheritance of the rest of the brothers. In Deuteronomy 21, 17, it talks about this. This was the right of the firstborn and the honor he was to receive from his father. So thus when Elijah talks about speaking this way to Elijah, he is asking to be his heir, to be under his fatherhood, his mentorship. The request honors Elijah for a claim something like, I have seen your commitment to the Lord, your courageous faith, and I want to follow in your steps after you're gone. Such a request speaks highly of both of them, Elijah and Elisha. And it works well as we look at these two sides of a discipling, mentoring relationship. Obviously, there needs to be godly characteristics, fruits of the Spirit apparent in one's life before you're going to be an effective minister of God's truth. Again, that doesn't mean perfection. We're going to stumble. We're going to make mistakes. All of us do until we reach heaven. So what kind of man was Elisha? I think it's important here that we spend some time looking at him because we need to see the desire. That's what it, to me, it's so easy to see the appetite he had for the Lord. Like his prophetic mentor, Elijah, he forsook all for the kingdom, wanting what his mentor had and the degree he had. One could say that maybe he was a glutton, a spiritual glutton. He had observed the power of God work in Elijah, the miracles of healing, the fire from heaven, the divine authority that rebuked kings, and he wanted it. He wanted to be like that. He had also seen the cost, the rejection, the persecution, moments of exile, discouragement, and even depression that Elijah fell into. Still, he sought the same spirit. The costs didn't seem to outweigh the benefits. He knew God was at work in him and he wanted God to be at work in him at least as powerfully as he was in Elijah. What about you? 
Do you have somebody like this in your life? Has someone invested in you like this? Maybe more importantly, are you investing in anyone? And I know for most of us, certainly as parents, we find relief when asked this question because we feel we've done this with our children and, and we continue to do that for the most part. But is that the only relationship God's called us to in discipling? I don't think so. I believe from Scripture, disciples reproduce and they keep on reproducing. I bec- as I shared earlier, I became a believer 26 years ago, approximately. It wasn't an overnight transformation. I was a case three or four years it took me before I really committed my life to the Lord. And as one considers that we need to daily renew ourselves, maturing and increasing in measure the things that God has called us to. Um, Like all of you, my journey is not completed yet. Certainly not yet. But during this time, um, I've had individuals come alongside me, but I've had especially one who I just, to this day, am... I marvel at and I'm grateful for. He was a man who was always available. He always had time. The neat thing for me is that he's still alive and he's here today. Ralph Lundin. I know he's still actively spending time mentoring, discipling. I know there are men here who have been mentored by Ralph. He's always available. He is not disengaged from ministry, even at his age. He might tell you that he's retired, but he's really not. He's still as engaged as ever. And I know that behind every good man, there's a good woman. And I I know that Peggy supports him and all that. You'll see those two here on Wednesday nights oftentimes. If there's a meal that needs to be made, if there's somebody that needs to be shuffled, and if there's a young man or an older man that needs someone to teach him the truths of Scripture. Not only in speaking, but in the way he lives. Disciples take seriously Matthew 10.8 where Jesus said, Freely you have received, freely give back. God wants us to take our experiences our testimonies, the things we've been taught, and pour them into the life of somebody else. Will there be costs? Yes, there will be. Let's consider that Jesus spoke of the cost of discipleship on several occasions, pointing out that suffering and persecution are an integral part of following him. 
But what about the cost of not following him? Far greater. The Spirit may add new dimensions to our lives, layers of uncomfortable trials, temptations, intense assignments, middle-of-the-night phone calls, somebody needs you. But missing out on life with him, so much worse. The easy way is ultimately the harder way. And we all have examples in our own lives where we've taken the easy, wide road. We've thumbed our nose at the Spirit's nudgings and said, eh, later. I'll take a different route. Isn't it neat how God honors those who desire a double portion of His Spirit? The spiritual gluttons, those who pursue it not for their own glory, but because it's right and it honors God. He in turn enjoys the fellowship of those who choose a greater cost for greater fruitfulness. And he honors them with a peace and a joy that's immeasurable. What else do we see in Elisha that's admirable? From the text, we can read that he was persistent. At least three times on the day of departure, the younger prophet ignored the request of the older prophet to let him depart in solitude. Elijah was about to be taken by the Lord up to heaven, though no one really seemed to know what that was going to look like. And he told his young disciples, stay behind, stay back here. But Elisha insisted on following his master through Bethel, through Jericho, and through the Jordan River. No way was he going to be absent while God was doing something amazing like this. God honors persistence. In Isaiah 62, 7, he urged the praying watchmen of Jerusalem, give, no, give the Lord no rest. And in Matthew 7, 7, he commanded his disciples to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And if you spend any time in the Gospels, you'll see many times where Jesus honored persistent requests with miracles. So if you're not content with a casual relationship with God, then persistently ask Him for more and more. Let's never arrive at a place where we say, okay, that's enough of you. I don't need any more of you. We've been promised that those who seek will find and those who seek persistently will find more. We also find Elijah as one who's focused. In 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah's given a sign. He would know if the greater portion was granted if he saw Elijah as he ascended into heaven. So the chariots of fire come between them and a whirlwind take Elijah up to heaven. Not only was Elijah visible to Elisha, but he was able to keep his eyes on him as he ascended. Perhaps there was divine intervention in that test. If a prophetic apprentice could follow his mentor's instructions in the midst of such chaos, then he was fully prepared to follow his Lord's instruction in the chaos of prophetic ministry with all its rejection and persecution. Whether it was or not, Elijah passed, as we can see. He kept his eyes on his master. What about you and I? And I say you and I say I because this message is as much for me as it is for each of us here today. 
do you want the greater portion? More power and presence of his spirit? Do we have an appetite? Or do we just kind of graze on the things around us? Devotional here in the morning. Yeah, if I got time, I'll pencil in a meeting with that person. You think about Christmas time. I'm reflecting on Christmas Day at our place. The kids arrived about noon and we put out appetizers, which there were plenty of. Our plan was to eat at five, a meal, a main meal. But for the most of the afternoon, we kind of just grazed on all these appetizers. I'm sure none of you did that, but we did. And at five o'clock, when it was time for supper, it was kind of like, ah, I'm not very hungry. Is that how it works sometimes in our Christian walk too? We just kind of graze on things. We never have a real appetite. We need to be people of focus. We need to be able to look past the distractions, the chaos around us. We know there's lots of it. The opposition against the kingdom and the obstacles that we're going to encounter and we need to see only our master. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says we have to keep our eyes on Jesus and run with endurance. And this is no easy task in an age of so many distractions. Simply put, don't let your mind be filled with things that are less worthy than Him. And as we refine our focus on Him, we'll be rewarded at what we see. In wrapping this up, where are you at? Where do you see this church? It's the end of a year. It's the beginning of another year that we're ready to usher in. What's your appetite for more of Jesus? Are you intentionally going to put some things in place in your life to help you stay focused? As I said at the beginning of our study, 25 years ago, Bill Hall believed there was a crisis at the heart of the Christian church. Too many believers were not taking the Great Commission seriously. So I ask you today, for my generation especially and older, those who can remember 25 years ago, Has anything changed? Has anything changed in you? Are we serving Him and living with a greater appetite for Him, for the lost? Or are we more distracted than ever? Are we being discipled by the culture, by the lobbyists, or by the church and believers? by the truth of Scripture. What are you going to put in place for the next year?
What are you going to intentionally do to draw closer to the Lord, to be more obedient in the things that He's called us to as believers? Studying the Word is great. You have to. But we've been called for more than just study to gain knowledge. What are we doing with what we learn, with what we're being taught? I believe that effective study, both personal and corporate as a body, will lead us to discipling. Think about someone. Do you want to take what God has given you? Do you want to pass it on? Pour them into another person. Are you available? What's your schedule? Some of you people, myself included at times, we are so booked. We don't have room. We don't have room for the call that comes that says, I need you. I need you to come over. I need you to help me with something. Will you pray and seek out someone who might need you? This church now has nine community groups. Out of these have come many discipling, mentoring relationships. They are the primary ministry in Elam to equip believers to go and make disciples. Here's what community groups statement, goal, reads. Community groups exist to carry out Elam missions to glorify Elam missions plan to glorify God by showing the world who God is and what he has done in Jesus, to reflect God's image and express the gospel. Groups are the place we live out church together, to study the word, to pray, to eat, to laugh, to care and to serve. They are the primary vehicle for discipleship, pastoral care and reaching our community extending church beyond Sunday morning and into life. We've all been told, and some here personally experienced, that at the end of our days here on this earth, the blessings and the regrets counted by us are going to be about relationships. I would just ask you to pray about today. Resolve in your heart how you're going to be intentional. Intentional to be available and to be prayerful in making disciples who disciple. Pouring your life into someone who needs you. Being available. And if you need that person, pray about who that might be. Let's pray. Father, in your word, we read that you have blessed us all. You've given us the truth of your word and that we are to multiply. We are to lead others out of darkness, equipping others, helping others, Lord, to see the truth of your word. 
Lord, may we not be satisfied with where we are, but may we have an appetite for more of You. Lord, allow us to cast aside the simple routines that so oftentimes just put us in a rut. But may instead, Lord, we hunger for more of You. As the deer pants for streams of water, Lord, may we hunger and thirst for more of You. God, may we take the things that we've learned this past year and may we put margins in place, Lord, to help us in our walk with You this next year. God, Your Word says, and the things that You have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. God, that's our desire. And we just look to you and we trust in you to move us. May we be submissive to your spirit. May we hunger for more of your spirit. We praise you, Father. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. to invite you to stand again. the lady. 
rivers in your vineyard declaring the word of the Lord. Behold, He comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. Let the trumpet call, lift your voice. It's here at Jubilee, out of science to salvation. Come, behold, He comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. Let the trumpet call, lift your voice. It's here of Jubilee, and out of Zion till salvation come. Behold, He comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. Let the trumpet call, lift your voice. It's here of Jubilee, and out of Zion till salvation As we consider God's, God's Word, the things that He's called us to, it's apparent that we have to lean on Him. We have to lean on what the Word says. There's only one way that we can look, and that's to the Lord for the strength, for the ability to be obedient to Him. To Him who is able to keep you from falling, to Him alone present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord have a great week uh, Sunday school classes resume next week is there fellowship time upstairs? alright, there's Lots coffee of donuts yeah. <laughs> donuts? Go tell them, Mom. Go tell them.